This is an ABC podcast. This is a warning that the following episode contains a reference to sexual abuse. Listener discretion is advised. Men feel embarrassed to be caught doing any laundry or having to hang clothes on the line up here. We've got to change that mindset. The fact that I've learned to accept myself, then I feel I'm in a much healthier space to listen to my son's level of anxiety and expressions of their anger and frustration. It's an opportunity for them to break the cycle of violence through teaching their children when they grow up. That's not the the proper way to discipline your children. So often on Sisters Let's Talk, we meet women who have been abused or disempowered by men. We don't talk about these issues to attack men or to make you hate men in your lives. We do it because in the Pacific, almost 70% of women have experienced physical or sexual abuse by their partner. But while there is a lot of research collected on female victims of violence, there is much less data on male perpetrators. So how can we get men to stop violence against women? Perhaps we need to start from the beginning. I'm Hilda Wayne. Sisters, let's talk about raising our boys to be good men. Let me start by saying I have sons. And my sisters who make this show with me are also mothers of boys. And like you, we want our sons to grow up to be kind and respectful. We want them to understand that strong men don't use violence to hold power over others. So how can we give our sons this gift? Tanya Bale is an anti-violence advocate and a mother and grandmother to boys. She's from Finchafen in Papua New Guinea. I mean, of course, you know, everybody thinks about the um, provider and the muscles and all the manly things and beards and whatnot. But Gosh. to me, a, <laughs> a good man in the context of family is somebody who is kind and understands his role in in that dynamic. Do you see these qualities in enough men in your community and where you work? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to offend all my brothers. I mean, my my brothers are great. My brothers have those qualities, actually. Let's just talk about my family. In my family, yes, I am very, very fortunate, beginning with my father and my mother's brothers, my uncles. And then, of course, when I look at my own brothers, they also have those traits where they're great providers, sure, and protectors, sure. Lots of men are those things, but the key is that they they give voice to their wife, they listen to their children, they make time for their children, and they get down to the, the level of their kids and engage them face-to-face and put them first. They, they prioritise the needs of their, of their family. And look, we don't want to disregard the good men either. There are lots of good men out yes, there, but it's important to talk about this so that hopefully more men are encouraged yeah. to adopt those qualities. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, I guess, how do you do it? I guess I, I can speak f- from my own observations of my personal experience. I've got two sons and they are now adult men and they're all wonderful adult men. Like I'm super proud of how they've turned out. And the reason they are wonderful adult men, it's got nothing to do with me, it's to do with the men that are their role models in their lives. It's how their fathers you know, it's how their fathers, uncles, um, you know, I made a conscious decision. I was paranoid because I was co-parenting with their fathers, but I had separated from them. And I was so paranoid having sons that my 
that they wouldn't have any male influences in their life. So I, con- I consciously made sure I had lots of good male friends that, you know, just from in my in my sort of life outside of family as well. So making sure that who your your sons are looking up to are good men is how you, you know, is how you raise boys to be good men. Where can mothers find positive role models for their sons? Well, in theory, it's supposed to be a young boy's first hero and first role model is his father. Parents are the single biggest influence on their children. And that can be challenging if you're a single parent, if you're a single mother. And that can also be really challenging if you, the father of your children happens to be a violent man or an aggressive man. So I've been very fortunate. I, you just have to look around. You have to be conscious of the behaviours of men, who, how men are behaving around your sons. You have to be, unfortunately, very conscious of that, of what behaviours your sons are being exposed to. And you just have to make those tough decisions to remove your children from those negative behaviours that they might emulate. Like it might be challenging to find good role models for your sons, but it there are good men out there and you just have to you just have to be conscious of it i find in png like i i didn't raise my sons in png they were they were raised in australia that's where i was working at the time and i'm actually really grateful because i think in png because of our perhaps our confusion around traditional culture and mod, what a modern man is supposed to be and a lot of men are still figuring it out you have to be extra vigilant raising boys to be men up here to ensure that they don't adopt those toxic masculine traits mm. and as as you've said true perhaps where you and I come from it, we say it takes a village to raise our children perhaps yes. our uncles or community leaders as long as they have those good qualities that can fill in the void where there's, there's no yes. father figure yeah well that's the thing you see because of course we love our uncles like uncles are in in PNG culture we don't have a word for uncle the word is either big father or small father so you know uncles are hugely important but i tell you i've seen some really toxic uncles teaching their nephews all kinds of bad habits. So it can be dangerous. And that's the point you made yeah. earlier that, you know, we have to be mindful of where we expose our children. Yeah, it's a tricky one to deal with because family and extended family is so tight in PNG and people feel a sense of duty to support family, even if what they see is wrong, even if what they're doing is wrong. You see it all the time. You see it all the time where you will see a, a man will be abusing his his wife in the home. The family know it's wrong, but they will still defend him over her because they feel that that's their duty. I've gone through it myself personally, where I've had even the, the women of the family who are educated, some with law degrees, but they will still harass you talk negatively, threaten you sometimes. If you're taking a stand against what their relative did to you, what their cousin or what their nephew did, all of that knowledge and education and whatever goes out the window and they will vehemently, they will fiercely get behind their their male relative and make excuses for him. So this is a really big challenge in PNG. This is part of where we get stuck when it comes to trying to get on top of domestic violence. But I, I just feel like having good male role models is is absolutely key. And the big challenge is finding those male 
role models. One of Tanya's concerns is that as we get better at giving girls opportunities for equality, we're not doing enough to empower boys with positive masculinity. There's a lot of recognition around women's empowerment, saying like if we empower women and educate them and give them good jobs and give them independence, that's the key. And I've always been kind of like skeptical about that being the key because I just, I still feel like, again, the onus is on changing women when we're not actually going and changing men. We need to bring our boys on the journey with us. We have to empower together. I mean, look at that study that's just come out from the Australian National University where there is a correlation between when a woman's status increases, having more education and having um, a good job, it actually increases your chances of experiencing domestic violence. It's the opposite of what everybody was saying, like, oh, we'll empower women, we'll educate them and, you know, they can get jobs and then they'll be able to stand on their own two feet. But it's now coming out that there's a correlation between that and an increase in domestic violence. So that tells me that their husbands are not empowered. Their husbands are insecure. Their husbands are feeling emasculated. So that tells me that we must bring the boys on the journey with us. If we're empowering women and letting the boys just sit on the sideline, it's making men angry. I'm not denying that women need a a hand up, but there needs to be balance. Mm. And I know it's not a popular thing to say, but I am very concerned about our boys. You know, we have to be very, very careful that we don't forget about the boys. What can mothers do within their control? I guess that's the first kind of nurturing space to ensure that their sons know that this violence is not out to be a man. Yeah. Look at the men within your own family that have the qualities that you that you want to pass on to your son. Typically, it should be the father of the son, but often it's not. So you have to just look first within your family, then you know within the church, and then obviously within community groups get them involved in sport. You know, the coach can be a great, great role model and have conversations with your sons about what's good behaviour. I mean, talking is good too, just so that they have it in their consciousness, like what's good behaviour and what's bad behaviour. But actions, children will pick up. You can tell them not to swear. But if you're swearing in the house, they're going to swear. So it's actions that, especially with children, that actually will override whatever you say to them. So they need to be exposed to good examples. I used to be a single mom for almost eight years and the, the father was never around much. But my boys, I tell them to cook and clean. Uh, I think they yes. they need to clean, they need to cook, and they do all these things themselves. Then they started very young, so oh, they're, yeah. the, they're the best cooks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cooking. Oh, yeah. When my son started school... I bought them each their own little laundry basket, put it in their bedroom. It said, there's your basket. Your dirty clothes go there and you do your own laundry. That's it. Start them young. Wash your uniforms. And they would pack their own lunch boxes and they would make their own breakfast. And on the weekend, they knew how to do a barbecue. They knew how to – and this is in primary school. Because if they can play on a game box or PlayStation, if they can turn the remote on a TV, they can operate a washing machine and they can open a – cereal box, you know, they could pour milk. We infantilize our boys too much too. That's the other thing. Like girls are girls are in there chopping up onions with big sharp knives when they're little. And this stuff about, oh, women mature more than, faster than men, I actually don't subscribe to that. I Literally, I don't. You know, we've kind of like accepted that as some sort of a fact that girls mature faster than boys and are more sensible. And so that, it's just given permission 
to allow boys to remain infants until even when they're <laughs> full-grown fathers. <laughs> they can still be, you know, how many women do you hear saying, that's my third child or well, that's, my, that's my hairy baby, the other ones. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's just, it's, it's funny and everything. But, but yeah. gosh, I'm so glad. Like I've seen my son, my oldest son, come home from work. I've been sitting in the house with his wife. They've got, with my two grandsons, He'll come home for work and the first thing he'll do is pour his wife either a glass of wine or uh, make her a tea and tell her to go and sit down and he'll go, he'll just drop his bags, go straight in the kitchen and start chopping onions or whatever. He will give her that one hour of sit down. But he doesn't see that as a woman's job. He sees that as we're in a partnership, removing that stigma and pride or I don't know what it is I just honestly don't know what it is where men feel embarrassed to be caught doing any laundry or having to hang clothes on the line up here like it's a they tease each other oh you'll be hanging your wife's underpants you know like it's a kind of like an insult or a joke or we've got to change that mindset that's Tanya Bale you might know her by a former married name Tanya Nugent she's an anti-violence campaigner and a mother to kind and empathetic men what a great example is Sansa to other men in their community. This is Sisters Let's Talk with Hilda Wayne. They say babies don't come with a guidebook, but there are actually a lot of resources available to parents to help them. If you were raised by loving, supportive parents, then you hopefully have them nearby to help you do the same. But the type of discipline that was acceptable when you were young is probably not the best approach now, especially if it involved hitting or scolding. The Samoa Victims Support Group piloted a positive discipline parenting program in seven villages. It's aimed at changing community attitudes and reducing violence against children. Pepe Tevanga is the supporting president of the program, which offers six modules over two years. The first one, we introduced them to positive discipline, like what is parenting? Is it a stressful uh, process or is it a, a should be a joyful journey? Uh, when we talk about discipline, we're usually looking, is it just hitting and scolding the children or is it teaching them um, to become better individuals? Then we, we went on to working with them on identifying their short-term and their long-term goals, parenting goals for their children, because through this process of setting their the goals for the children, they will contribute to uh, child development. And then the next, uh, I think the next module we work with them is providing warmth and structure. You know, parents, if they know how to approach their children and providing that warmth and, and setting a structure, not only a structure for the chores for the children to do, but structure the process, you know, in their daily lives so that the children know when they go through difficulties in life, they know that the parents should be the first ones they should confide to, you know, to entrust with any of their problems. I think the fourth one when we're looking at... Uh, working with the parents to try and understand how their children think and feel. And this was a, a very emotional, the parents coming to terms with how they were uh, treating the children, you know, they don't even know how their children think and feel because they do not have, most of them do not have that relationship. So it was a lot of uh, sharing by the parents, especially the the fathers, because both the mother and the father were invited to attend. So there was a lot of uh, sharing by the fathers that they don't usually show how they think and feel to their children or they hide their emotions. But then 
With this program, it, it's a wake-up call for them that their children need to know that they love them and then they care for them. And then I think towards the end, we were looking at working with them on how to um, approach uh, problem solving with their children together. And then I think the last the last module that we worked with them was from module one up to module five. How then can they respond with a positive discipline? You know, with all the with all that we have worked with them, how can they use that new knowledge to effect a respond with a positive discipline? Hmm. Considering how you, your children think and feel, it's a very much a modern parenting style and it's not really the way our parents did it. Uh, is this as much about changing people's own culture? Not so much on culture. We each have our own culture and we also understand our, our, our culture, our Samoan culture here. You know, sometimes our parents, they do not show their emotions. Uh, but when we went through... Uh, the workshop with understanding how their children think and feel. It was more the parents thinking back of how they were raised as children themselves when they were young by their parents. And most of them were um, were like, we, we never went through something like this with my parents. But then the program is to support them become better parents themselves. It's an opportunity for them to break the cycle of violence through teaching their children when they grow up. That's not the, the proper way to discipline your children. What worked uh, 10 years ago is not going to work, probably it's not going to be effective nowadays with the changes and the developments that we go through. But, you know, basically knowing how your children think, you know, just a basic human rights approach. You are parents, your child is, the, is a minor, you should know that relationship that your child depends on you. So you should embrace the child as, as the adult in the relationship and not the other way around. Mm. Do you try to have men present in the program so that boys are learning from positive male role models? Yes, both programs for adolescents and, and parents are, are both for male and female. So that's why for the parents program, it's very encouraging for us to see men sitting in during the program, being part of the program. In some communities, it started off only the, the mothers, the women. But then I think as the men hear about the program when their wives come home, there's an increased interest from the men to join the program. And towards the end of the program, when we did the lessons learned, we have the men speaking out. So it was usually the men that would speak out publicly about, you know, the importance of this program to them and how it, it has influenced them in, in, in looking at uh, better ways to discipline the children rather than the hitting and the scolding. Breaking the cycle of family violence is the key goal for Positive Discipline Parenting Program. Samoa Victims Support Group started as an organization for survivors, but when the family court was set up in Samoa in 2013, the group started working with offenders. When we look at the holistic approach to addressing violence and we, we see the value in working with offenders, uh, and I think that's uh, where we started also to look at engaging the parents. If the parents are usually the perpetrators for violence against children, then instead of just supporting the children when they come through a violent situation, we have to engage with the parents. And that's how we we see that the children of the current parents, you know, should benefit from the positive discipline approach that we are introducing nowadays. So that when the children grow up, they see that there should be a change in, in the attitude and the behavior of the parents towards disciplining them.
While parents are undertaking the positive discipline parenting program, Pepe's team also works with their adolescent children. So that they are able to meet with the parents halfway, you know, with the parents now hopefully changing the, how they, they approach parenting. And also the adolescents are also working through the emotional and, and social competencies so that they are able to, to cope with any changes that we are expecting the program to bring. That's Pepe Tewanga from the Samoa Victim Support Group. Raising sons comes with added challenges when they are part of a diaspora. Reverend Saani Langi is a Tongan minister based in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And she and her husband have their hands very full with four adolescent boys. Watching them grow up in a Western country has made Saane reflect on her own understanding of what it means to be Tongan. I have to really accept the fact of my own identity that my boys will actually see what it's like to be a Tongan person in, in New Zealand, to see that in my husband, to see that in their father, to see that in me. And I didn't realize because some of my thinking was very Western. Some of my lifestyle was very Western and I wasn't aware of it. I was exposed from a very young age to Western culture and I was able to see things there in the Western culture, which I liked and I lived it. In, my husband was very Tongan in his way of thinking. So knowing myself was very vital that I would have to coach and raise sons that are able to navigate with negotiation skills, that they grow in, and develop in their autonomy as young Tongans in an environment where it's, it's very much Western. I have to know what are my values and what are my beliefs, what is negotiable, what is not negotiable, what is culture, what is Tongan culture looks like in New Zealand. There is not a Tongan culture in Tonga, but a Tongan culture that is actually redeemed and revised to fit for purpose in Aotearoa. Something else Anna grappled with when she became a mother was her own childhood trauma and how it could cause intergenerational trauma in her boys. My father passed away when I was three years old. So I connected to an older father figure and ended up being sexually abused by that father figure. So my image of a father figure or a male figure in my life was distorted. I'm saying that, Hilda, because I have a purpose that my pain becomes my gain and someone else's gain because a mother's had to learn to accept everything that has happened in the past because we can't change it. So I share my story because it has huge impact on the way I parent my sons. And I have to look for help. I have to look for counseling. Those are the costs that I'm talking about. The cost of me have to face the, the monster that I've actually suppressed for years in my life that I wasn't able to talk about it. But all of that becomes anger. And it becomes anger that comes out on my children and my children suffers with it, mm. but they did not know how to handle it. Neither did I at the time. But when I started looking for help and I know how to manage myself, then I realized that I can manage my boys better. The fact that I've learned to accept myself and learn to listen to myself, then I feel I'm in a much healthier space 
much calm space to listen to my son's level of anxiety and expressions of their anger and frustration because a lot of the time they don't speak for the fear of shame. They get angry because they don't want to process their emotion and that's because they do not want to feel embarrassed and be shameful. Because they reached teenagers, they started to think for themselves. They started to make decisions for themselves. And if they actually have like good friendship, that's actually great. But if they associate themselves with same further flock together, which is majority of the time, that is the reality that same further flock together, then the problem is doubling up. But if you learn to actually know yourself and grow yourself, you are in a space of a good enough mother, good enough father to hold the space for your child to grow and develop. And when you understand your children as you understand yourself, understanding causes compassion and it gives you patience to allow them to grow and make mistakes. Initially, I thought that controlling is safe. And I didn't realize that my controlling contributes to family violence, that my controlling contributes to my children being traumatized in their early childhood, which was in the developmental stage was very vital. Now I'm actually working in progress on mending that brokenness to reparent, to rebuild, which is actually takes a lot of time, takes a lot of resources. But I'm grateful that I've actually changed my pain into gain. Esane was learning these concepts for herself. She started to talk about them publicly, making YouTube videos for parents who might have the same concerns as she did. When I first started posting it, like it went viral that I have like an influx of inbox messages. People were sharing their problems with me in regarding to their struggles with their children. They asked me for issues like their sons having girlfriends in their early teens. And, and I have to accept it that when I put myself out there in social media, I am vulnerable for criticism and all sorts. But I still see that someone has to to have the courage to, to say something because our children continue to get lost, especially our Pacifica young teenagers. They continue to move into gang affiliation, teen pregnancy, suicide, and the issues, it's not getting any easier. The response from parents to our videos inspired Sana to develop Langima'a, a support program for Pacific families in Auckland. Langima'a provides culturally relevant support for children and families at risk due to family violence and addiction. One of the programs offers parents and even older teenagers a chance to start over. They didn't have good parenting from their parents, but now they're old enough. Their parents are no longer around to make decisions for themselves. They can't reparent themselves. But we also have family therapy in which we do coach the parents on how to reparent themselves to, to be better parents. And we do have the family therapy that included the children in it to rearrange the families in a better way to nurture one another and look after one another. That's Reverend Saani Langi, who started Langi Ma'a to support Pacific families at risk in New Zealand. Thanks to all my guests today. Saane, Pepe Tevanga and Tanya Bale.
If you have boys in your life, ask yourself what sort of men you want them to be and how can you help their generation end this cycle of family violence. Thank you so much for joining me, Hilda Wayne, for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia, a weekly show by Pacific Islands Women for Pacific Islands Women, where we get together to talk about the issues that are important to us. If you've missed an episode of this show, catch up on our podcast. You can listen on the ABC Pacific website or on your favorite podcast app. If you've got a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message anytime at the ABC Pacific Facebook page or email sisters at abc.net.au. That is S-I-S-T-A-S at abc.net.au. Next time on Sisters Let's Talk, Queen of the Longboats, Vai Masanu'u Zita Martel on a life-changing role as Samoa's first female Fautasi's keeper. It's what we call in Samoan, the Fa'angatama meaning the sport of men on the ocean. So it's fiercely contested. That's next time on Sisters Let's Talk. Sisters Let's Talk is presented and produced by me, Hilda Wayne. Our producer is Rachel Lucas, supervising producer is Kim Lester, and executive producer is Inga Stunsna. Sisters Let's Talk is produced on Wurundjeri, Gungai Kurnai, Durambul Jagara and Turbul Country and is an ABC Radio Australia production. I'm Tasol Nabungimu next time.